Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. On our previous episode of Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, Jim Elif of Christian Communicators Worldwide shared his personal testimony. And as he did so, he kind of naturally transitioned into a discussion about churches that he has pastored, as well as a church he helped start and is still at today. And so we are picking up the discussion where we left off at the conclusion of that episode. For some of you, this is going to be an exposure to some out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to church life, how a church functions, and what church gatherings look like. So I want to encourage you to listen to this episode with an open mind. And then search the scriptures and see if some of the things we talk about are not found to be faithful to God's word and quite practical for today's culture. So here's the second and final part of my interview with Jim Ellis. All right, so let's target a specific topic here that I'd like to talk about with you based upon what I know of you and your your, what you're doing mm. and what I've seen through the years and what we have been experiencing here at Harvest Jacksonville in terms of the Lord's leadership mm. and coming to a perhaps newer, under, a, a different understanding of ecclesiology mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. When I say ecclesiology, I'm talking about the study of the church, the doctrine of the church. Right. Neil Cole's been on our podcast a couple of times, and you probably know who he is. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book a few years ago called, I think it's Ch- Church 3.0. And yeah, that's the title, Church mm. 3.0. Excellent book. And at the beginning of the book, he talks about mm. the need for a third reformation of the church. Mm. Uh, mm. Or maybe it's a mm. second reformation. Third, third, it, yeah, it'd be a second reformation of the church, yeah. uh, which would be the, the 3.0. You got the church prior to the reformation, then 2.0 churches since the reformation. Now we need yes. another reformation. Yes. I thought that was a little yes. bold and over the top when I, when I read that at first. <laughs> but you know what? The further yeah. I go into... My journey in ecclesiology, I'm starting to kind of align myself with yeah. Neil, and I'm starting to believe that the Holy Spirit's actually doing something significant I, in terms of opening up people's eyes to the fact that we I, have tied ourselves so too. much to a model that worked in Christendom for 14, mm-hmm. 15, 1600 years. But now that we're moving into mm-hmm. more of a post-Christian slash even perhaps anti-Christian cultural mindset, uh, he may not be too far from the truth on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've uh, thought that way a lot, and, and uh, am interested in how people are uh, rethinking things. And thankfully, a lot of people talking about it. That's a sign of something going on in itself, isn't it? So um, yeah, we're and we're excited to have one part of that. Uh, you know, one uh, be able to jump ahead in that we started the church, uh, and we started this twenty years ago. So we've been at it, you know, a long time. If I could jump back and say one yeah. more background thing, uh, which which will interest people that come out of your, your background and mine. Uh, back in the early 70s, when I was in North Little Rock, we actually began to have a plurality of elders. And at that time, I've never known of another church that had, at that time, had a plurality of elders. Sure, there must have been, but I have not been able to find any. But we were really stepping out there because almost every church was a pastor and its deacons, uh, that sort of model. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we were experimental with that. We're in the front end of cell groups. 
and uh, also and had seen great success in cell groups where like 95% of our people in two or three churches that I'd been over a long period of time in there were attending our cell groups. So there was nothing uh, unhappy about all of that. That was really wonderful. But part of my dilemma and wanting to change even further was, uh, besides the scriptures themselves, was that something was not happening in the cell groups that I think began to happen later when we had our smaller church units. And uh, that was that people really went to uh, their pastor and really, you really got the pastoral care and so forth that they needed. Whereas before in the small group, people would, small groups, uh, they would jump past their leaders and jump to um, the men on the stage sort of thing. Right. And uh, yeah, so we, we really, it was no, in other words, it didn't really relieve or increase our pastoral effectiveness uh, to have the small groups, the, the sort of cell method. Uh, it was an improvement, a great improvement, it, it, but it I, didn't relieve one, one or two of the really important things. Would you say that it was an improvement in that it kind of maybe shifted away from the academic knowledge-based uh, Sunday school setup with the teacher up front and everyone sitting forward? Yeah, you know, mindset. at the time when we... Uh, I would say that now, but I, I, at the time when I was in a more traditional church, uh, the cell groups were just, uh, you know, just out of our Sunday type meeting. And we continued to have a, a Sunday small units, but they became increasingly difficult just because of the manpower. So we enlarged them and had sort of just a major facilitators. It just, just changed it where the manpower was could be focused toward the cell groups, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. There is generally, to, to have both, it's generally very hard for right. church to do in terms of enough leadership. Sure, yeah. So that was our experience, though. We went through that because we didn't know anything else to do. And, uh, yeah, so, but uh, now we, we have a different different plan, in fact. Yeah. But so that you, was a, that was sort of a really gave us a taste of, you know, the small our small groups in various places gave us a real taste of a different kind of life as a church. And we'd often say, well, we're having more good effects from that than we seem to have from our larger meetings. Mm-hmm. So that that obviously it, that got my attention. So you, you've got a, a track record of being kind of an innovator to think outside the box and go ahead and try to do something different because you saw the scriptures teaching mm-hmm. it, or even maybe yeah. from a pragmatic standpoint, you're saying this seems like it's more able to fulfill yeah. what the scriptures are calling us to do. Whether it was the elders, uh-huh. that that would have been, like you said, you were the only one you knew doing that. The first church I knew doing that was Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in terms of Southern Baptist denomination. Uh-huh. Wayne Barber reading right. the scriptures and said, right. why aren't we doing this? And they, you right. know, they, and this right. was in the eighties for them, I guess it was. No one else hardly was doing it. Now you got so many Baptist churches that have elders. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's just, uh, you sort of, yeah, it's very, pretty common. But back then we didn't know anybody in the seventies. So you were an innovator. I'm an early adapter. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't be like you where I'm the first one doing it. No one else is doing it. I'm like, I spot the people doing it for the first time going, you know what? I I think they're doing it more biblical. We need to do it that way. You know? Well, you know, no, I mean, any rate, it's, uh, and it was going on in, in Bible churches, and of course sure. that was, we were aware of that, but, uh, yeah, yeah good point. In, mm-hmm. but, but, yeah, but, you know, I, I have to say, in the denomination I'm in, I've never been laughed at for doing what I've done, I've had total freedom, so that's one of the blessings. Of the autonomy, yeah. The autonomy of the church, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you guys started this church, and you started strategically, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I understood you correctly, mm-hmm. 
you had a vision for this decades before you actually tried it. Decades before, yeah, I wrote it out. I have a sheet of paper and just, yeah. And then the Lord perfected that just through the years of Bible reading, and of course. And uh, when the time came uh, for it to begin, it just, I just was ready to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Just knew this was the Lord opening the door to do it. I had mentored a, a man for about a year. He was an L.A. deputy sheriff uh, and had moved to Kansas City. And I've mentored him for about a year. He's a great man. He and I began to pastor, and he took one of the small groups. We actually, our small groups are house churches, house meetings. Mm-hmm. But he took one of the small groups, and uh, I took the other. He had, we had encouraged him to start a church. He was renting a little building and starting while I was mentoring him. We'd encouraged him and helped him. But he said, I want to join in with this too. And we just prayerfully entered in with, I think, about 24 folks. And God has chosen to, to really bless it and make a solid, a solid work for his sake, I think, uh, over these now 20 years. Okay, so let me see if I understand. Yeah. This is from a distance I've observed through the Internet and watched you guys through the years. Uh, mm. And I'll give you a description of what I think your church is about and see if I get it right and correct me mm-hmm. when I'm wrong. But uh, if I could summarize what I'm seeing is you started a church that, as opposed to a traditional church that has all the focus on the Sunday morning gathering of everyone together, seated mm-hmm. dozens, or Lord willing, you know, if there's a lot of interest, hundred or multiple hundreds of people looking forward for a small group of people on the platform exercising their spiritual gifts or talents uh, to the benefit of all who are listening, but low participation type thing. Mm-hmm. You said, let's decentralize and let's have house churches like we read about in the book of Acts mm-hmm. and in the New Testament, mm-hmm. even in Paul's letters makes reference to these churches that meet in homes. And let's, so let's mm-hmm. have smaller gatherings in homes yep. that are shepherded by are, elders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's your main focus. But then you also, if I remember correctly, you also had a weekend gathering where you all came together and you would gather together for maybe some centralized teaching and worship yeah. and then a meal not, afterwards? Not quite like, not quite like that. Okay. Let me, let me reconstruct then, yeah, that the, for yeah. you a little bit, but you're pretty, you're close, but no, our, yes, our main meeting is in the home. So that's what happens every week in different locations around the Northland of Kansas city. Each one has a pastor and that team of pastors, you know, make the elders of the church. And then every six weeks or so we rent a, a place, usually out at a retreat center, which is an ideal location, kind of a fireplace room and a retreat center, and we all come together, and we'll, we will eat a meal then, but we're eating meals every week. So we, we eat a meal called the Lord's Supper, a, a real meal every week. So, But we're, we're meeting then all together, and at that particular time, we have a, a bit more traditional looking, you know, stand up behind a music stand and and uh, maybe two, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more occasionally uh, will actually teach the word. So, and we'll eat a meal together. But the main meeting that goes on the other weeks is the meeting in the home. And uh, uh, do they be, happen? Yeah. Are they all on Sunday morning or they can they meet whenever they desire? They can meet where they desire, when they desire, if they need to. But as a, as a norm, we meet in the, in the afternoon. So, for instance, my group meets about three uh, thirty in the afternoon. On so Sunday, three thirty, four, four thirty. Yeah, and we're together. You know, maybe four and a half hours. Wow. Yep. It's truly body life and then. It's truly body life. I mean, I've never, I've never uh, known it to be so consistent. You know, it's not perfect by any means, but I'm very thankful for the real body life. It's really what God wants. 
wants us to do. I mean, just for, I'm just speaking even from experience, besides yeah, the absolutely. text of Scripture, but from experience, it's very edifying. Now, let me let me ask you this, uh, yeah. and I think this is good for our listeners to hear this, because from a distance, what seeing checking out your website and looking at the things you did, and I knew you were outside the box, and I was a church planter, and we share similar theological convictions, and so you're one of the churches I was mm-hmm. kind of studying on the internet as we were in the process of starting our church, et cetera. Yeah. Because my mind was so trained in church as we know it and as we, way we'd always done it and always seen it done, I misunderstood what you were doing as, as, as mm-hmm. is displayed even now in our conversation when you were correcting me on that. I thought your mm-hmm. centralized gathering was the main thing, but that you also met in homes and you have corrected me on that. And, and of course, I'm thrilled yeah. to hear that because this is the place yeah. where I'm starting to you know arrive at in terms of what is a more biblical yes. ecclesiology anyway. But yeah, yes, right. Yeah. I'll tell you this. For many, many, many years as a pastor, I have always wrestled when I read First Corinthians fourteen on how oh, on earth do you do that with the way we do church? And I've never been able to figure that out until until I read Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I started thinking about what that looked like. And then all of a sudden I thought about First Corinthians fourteen and and it's like the bell went off. I'm like the, you know, it's like, yeah. like bulb flashed yes. on. It's like, that's how the church does First Corinthians 14, is you make right. the, in your case, house church gatherings or wherever you were, wherever you're to mm-hmm. meet in this group. That's the main mm-hmm. thing, not the centralized that's gathering, right. not the, to go to the book of Acts, not the gathering right. at Solomon's portico. That's not the main thing. That's right. The yeah, main thing temporary. are the smaller right. gatherings mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. everyone can absolutely. exercise their spiritual gifts. That's right. Yes, uh, absolutely. The intimacy, the participation, interactivity, dialogical uh, teaching, and so forth, uh, and and eating the meal, eating the Lord's Supper together as a meal. Uh, these are features of that of that uh, night, and it's just so much better. I mean. Uh, we we know the spiritual state of everyone. Everyone attends, by the way. Everyone in our church attends faithfully. And if they're not there, we know they're out of town. They tell us. They tell. They always be like a reunion. They they just would tell you, I can't be there because I'm out of town or I'm sick. But everybody's active, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that was always a problem with the other model that I that I've seen. It was really more much more difficult for everybody to be active. But it's just sort of like a family reunion. All the kids, we're all together, and we love each other, and we really grow close together. We've had, by the way, over 900 meals together as the Lord's Supper, and uh, that does a whole lot for fellowship, doesn't it? It, it sure does. It really makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's another thing we probably need to clarify for our listeners. Most of us, when we hear the Lord's Supper or communion, you think of being in the weekend gathering, usually the Sunday morning church event, and you have your little cups and your little bread, and you read some scripture, and you, you do your thing, which is nothing... It's not wrong to do it that way, but mm-hmm. uh, what mm-hmm. you're describing is something different. You want to give a brief summary of what that is? I can. I've written a book recently on this, by the way, which you can have for free, and it's all also a PDF online on our website, which might help. Yeah, it's it's really been a critical part of our meeting because we, we come together to eat this meal. We have the uh, highlighted elements, of course, and one of the brothers will say a few words uh, beforehand and We'll actually take, we do different things, but we'll actually usually just take those elements with us to the table and eat them as a reminder that we have our communion with each other and with God. 
because of the death of Jesus Christ for us. Mm-hmm. We really make a lot of the meal. Uh, the meal is a very important meal. It's by the way, the only term used really in the scripture is uh, uh, which which you you alluded to a difference here, and I appreciate that. The only term is really the Lord's Supper or the Agape Feast, both eating terms mm-hmm. and. Eucharist is from Jesus giving thanks, and it's not really a name, a designation in the Bible for this experience, nor is communion. Communion is what we want, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's not the name of it. And the name of it is the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. and a supper is a supper. You know, an agape feast is a feast. And this, I think, was an apostolic tradition, actually, and was carried on for many years after uh, the New Testament days until things began to distort. So... Uh, we really love this, and we 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 think uh, it's really critical for folks. So part of our evening, we usually put this at the end of our evening, so we can hang out and continue to talk or whatever. So yeah, that we will eat this meal together, and with a real emphasis, you know, on why we're gathered together and uh, have this opportunity to to love each other like this. So it's a it's a great part of the evening, along with the sharing of spiritual gifts and all of that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks for making mention to your book so we can read more about how you go about that yes. and what it looks like in, in detail mm-hmm. through going to uh, the church website or the CCW website. I think you can find it either place, but it's a free PDF. CCWtoday.org has our books on the up, upper menu, and all of our books are free of charge, and I think every one of them is also free PDF. So if, uh, if, you, just, if you just pay the cost for shipping, we'll send you any book you want. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, as long as the Lord Lord provides us money to do it. So, Amen. Happy to do that. Yeah, and there's some other books that might interest in in this vein. One called The Church on the Couch, which is more of a narrative of what happens in a meeting like ours. Every group is a little bit different, has its own personality and, and so forth. But uh, just in terms of the congregation I'm privileged to lead, uh, we have about 30 people, 30-something people, 32 people or something, and a lot of little children. So you might think that would be very difficult, but the Lord has really made this work together just fine. And the kids have really learned how to, to be there. And w- w- one of the... Um, beauties of it is that the guys, the, the men particularly, are uh, speaking up when they need to, and others are sharing other things. So the evening might look like, maybe I might start us out, and just for 15 minutes, I might give a short teaching, but very thought out teaching, you know, mm-hmm. with the people. But then others others will stand up, uh, not, not necessarily stand up, let me say, but they will, they will speak up and teach or exhort especially the men will teach or exhort typically. And there might be three or four of us that do that. And then sprinkled all in among this of people, people suggesting songs to sing or uh, having times of prayer for people who are burdened about something, confession, uh, testimony. The ladies can speak up uh, as far as testimony, what they find in the scripture that's impressing them and speaking to them. So it's a, it's a full evening in that, sort of open way that allows for the Holy Spirit to work. Mm-hmm. There's so much happening in that four or five hours together that, you know, every meeting's not your best meeting, you know, but there's always something wonderful happening, you know. Yeah. If it's just just being together in the conversations, you know, they're they're just just serving each other, 
in the meal. And, uh, you know, there, there is just something good, if not everything good, but something good all the time that's happening. And, and it gives us plenty of time to really relate to each other, which we think is significant. The missio- then, then the meal, meal would follow that. Yeah. Let's let's mm-hmm. cover one more aspect of this conversation. We're, we're running out of time here, but um, the missiologist yep. Alan Hirsch, in his book *The Forgotten Ways*, talks about how in North America statistics are showing that upwards of I don't remember the exact number, seventy, eighty percent of the people are, are are not interested anymore in coming to an institutional brick and mortar church. Mm-hmm. But yet, ninety to ninety-five plus percent of our churches—that's still how we function and how we communicate to the world that they need to be discipled. Mm-hmm. Is you come to us at our facility, mm-hmm. in our institution, and go to our Sunday morning service, go to our programs. And the Lord still uses that, but it seems to me yes. that um, this type of approach that you are using is going to be perhaps more something that your lost co-worker or unchurched or, mm. or de-churched or out-of-church friend might be more open to. And again, I'm leaning on what I've been reading more than I have personal experiences. We're just kind of you're right. Dipping our toes into this as a congregation right now, but I think of uh, Rosario Rosaria Butterfield's yes. book, "The Gospel yep. Comes with a House Key." How have you seen the missional aspect Beautiful. of this bear fruit? Well, very very strong. I mean, I've now here's here's the thing. Uh, we we have a, a conviction at this point, uh, and from the beginning of our church, that we want to invite seekers into our congregation, but we're not just trying to fill the house up evangelistically. We think the main evangelistic work is outside. Sure. So, uh, yeah, but we have our children and we have people who are seekers who need to see the body at work there at that stage. And that's important. Uh, but we carry on pretty active. Uh, you know, I've been in meetings where even every adult shared about some evangelistic seed, at least seed sowing type of opportunity that they have. We make a big deal of that. If somebody does anything, meets a, meets a neighbor finally after praying about, you know, mm. hands a piece of literature, does anything, we pray for those people. We, you know, we, that's important. That's what we are called to do. Sow the seed, sow that seed. I go to a coffee shop regularly for that reason. I, I recently had a couple of friends there, both of non-Christians, we invited to our house. You know, we met several weeks studying the Bible together. Providing a, providing a lunch. That's just the kind of thing we can do. I've had a lot of experience in actually being part of very liberal churches. I have Sunday morning open, you see, and I, I will go and very upfront. They know exactly who I am, not trying to be hiding anything at all, and really doing what I would do in any situation. And just asking God for opportunities to talk about the gospel and to talk about important things. And that's been a very, very wonderful mm. experience. Uh, um, yeah, so I, you know, I had a lady call me yesterday from Mainline Church. She said, "Oh, I wish we our pastor was leaving. I wish we had somebody like you." Right, everybody in that church. I mean, excuse me, so many people are needing Christ in that church. I would say, and uh, so you know, God, uh, this, there are all kinds of ways that we do uh, evangelism, but we make our meeting believers' meetings, and we're really focusing on that. And we use the gospel. We use the implications and ramifications of the gospel. That's that's how believers use the gospel, right? When we get together, what does the the gospel is the basis, for instance, in Paul's ministry and Paul's writing in Romans. It's the basis of his views of sanctification, the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. But the heralding of the gospel is for outside, and that in the Bible is called preaching over a hundred and something times. So we, we like the preaching of the gospel outside. And we're believers, in, intended believers. to be, is it not? 
Yes. Which we could go down a whole nother. We we could go down a whole nother rabbit trail of how many times the church has come up with great ideas that have been, well, being biblical, Uh, number one, but also just think of Sunday school. Sunday school was an evangelistic tool that was highly effective in reaching kids and homes with the gospel. And we we turned it It into a teaching tool for believers inside a building. Um, Yeah, right. We keep, we keep bringing inside buildings instead of letting it be out there where it's truly on Mm -hmm. a hill, lighting up. That's what makes it makes it institutional, right? Yeah. In yeah. a way that, yeah, yeah, trying to, but you know, it's, I, I think there's so many things that can be done even in a church that is, has an institutional background, but just by believing people, really looking to the Lord. And there's so many things that can happen because we have the same requirements, you know, right? really. And uh, the architecture, the main difficulty is architecture doesn't fit sometimes what we think God is telling us to do. And that's a struggle and size. You know, when yes. you start out a church, when you start out a church and you say, we're going to be together and just grow together as one unit, as big as we can, or even to a fairly big size. If you do that, you've made a lot of decisions right there about your future and about leadership, about uh, what you can actually do in a meeting. You've made so many decisions right there with that initial choice. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were grateful to be able to start out with a different vision. Me, being as old as I am and having done everything there is possible to do in church life over my ministry, uh, you know, that was, that was, I think, a help in the process. And then others are just so willing and eager, and our leaders so willing and eager. You know, we were, we were able to look at it and say, you know, we want the head of the church to lead the church. Mm-hmm. And you've we chosen— a lot of things, you know. And, yeah, and you're doing a model that is replicable and not heavily dependent on a huge budget to make it replicable. Not, yeah, we don't pay our pastors, so everybody. In other words, the people give to our pastors as a matter of esteem, mm. but it's not a salaried thing, and uh, that doesn't pay for our, our livelihood. We all get our livelihood outside of the church meeting. We think that's what happened in the early church. The itinerant people, however, were like Paul, were supported. Mm-hmm. you know, by other churches, by various people and by believers. So that's a good model. Uh, I mean, that's a really great model. You could start a church for a dollar. You know what I mean? You don't right, have yeah. to. You don't well, have if to do you're doing this. it in homes, and if you're, if you're right. not requiring people, I mean, I, I love, uh, I don't know where I saw this, but it said, anyone can start a church, prove me wrong. And I got to thinking about that, and I'm like, I think that's right. I mean, I heard Neil Cole say that when a, ch- a, a little girl, eight years old, has the kingdom in her heart, and she has the potential within the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, and her and him gift, she has the potential to start a movement to change the whole world with the gospel inside well, her. You know, God is powerful. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not about every, us. Every it's church, about Christ in us, right? It is His movement, His kingdom. Every everybody, uh, every church started without leaders, uh, without elders. I'd say every right, church right. started without elders. So that's encouraging. So, you know, a group can meet be it, and be a church and then develop its leadership. And, you know, there are lots of, you know, people call me all the time and say, I'm thinking about starting a church and what would I do? Well, of course, I'm reticent to say that I could qualify you. I don't qualify you to do that. Mm-hmm. You You have people in your life that God may use to qualify you and to help you. I, I'm not able to do that. Uh, but yes, and if all things being not just a, a disenfranchised, dis, disaffected person who can't get along with everybody wanting to start a group with his family. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? This, oh, yeah, this yeah. is not the idea. But but uh, yeah, there, there are right ways, qualified ways, I'm sure, to 
actually begin churches. And if it doesn't happen, frankly, we're in trouble. The the big thing, the big expense, the big detriment to things moving faster uh, are twofold: one, paying pastors, and number two, buildings. Yep. So these the expense of these things are like a chokehold all around the world. If we can free ourselves from that, there's just no end to what God might do. So that's the kind of if you talk about uh, reformation. That's the kind of reformation I want to see. Yeah, and I've 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 been telling some of our leaders and, and people. I said, search the New Testament. Find every command related to what to give to. I've only found three things that, you know, Mm -hmm. you can biblically say this is commanded to give to. And that is apparently from the pastoral epistles, teaching elders, or I guess you're seeing itinerant perhaps in that missionaries. I'll explain that in a minute, but. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I'm about to, I have to close this off because we're we've gone way okay. past our time. But uh, <laughs> some other time, missionaries yeah. and and helping the poor and the oppressed. I can't right. find any verse that says anything about giving to a building, New Testament wise. And and I'm New Covenant, no. so that's not a problem for me to say I don't find that in the scriptures that we're supposed to be building buildings. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah, uh, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing yeah, for a it, long time. That's well, for, for sure. a very long time, and the church flourished and very long time and multiplied incredibly. And I'm afraid we've gotten too tied to our buildings. But that's a whole nother episode. So Jim, I've got to cut it off somewhere. And I think this is where we're going to have to cut it off. (laughs) Brother, it's been great. Very thought provoking and intriguing and and, uh, sharing your experiences has been wonderful. And I thank God for you. And thanks for coming on Sound of Truth. Thank you, Brett. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville. It is copyrighted by Brett A. Mirani, 2022.